calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! That was good. I like that. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited to be jumping into the world of geekery here today. we got so much to jump into. Some Madam Web news, some Star Wars news, some trailers to break down. Uh, some Kugler and um, and uh, Michael B. Jordan reuniting news. So a lot, a lot going on here in the world of entertainment. We're going to break it all down for you over the next hour or so. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this with us. But let's introduce ourselves first. I am the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you guys, I just became a recurring character in what I like to call the world of COVID. I tested positive yesterday. It ain't fun. It's not the worst, but it ain't fun. Michael, do you believe him? Like, do you think this is a big ruse just to get out of going oh, to Disney with you? Do you think this? Is I believe him. He was mad. If anyone follows me on Twitter where I had my solo Disney day yesterday, <laughs> it was because it was supposed to be a day at Disney with my geek buddy, Shannon McClung, mm. who texted me at 7 a.m. and said, fuck, I tested positive for COVID. So I think he's got it. But uh, yeah, I think he probably could have. I mean, he could have made it work. He could have made it work. He could have rallied. rallied. He could have rallied. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But Shannon, we appreciate you doing the show uh, with COVID and uh, uh, powering through. Uh, powering through. Well, Look I mean, at him. I mean, you know, he, looks like he, he looks like he could lift a car. That's... Mm. I mean, I'm not disputing that. I do look great, uh, but, <laughs> but you're going to see me mute my mic from time to time to cough. Oh, yeah. It's not easy, those things. 
I hope you're on Paxlovid or something. But anyway, we're going to get into things here uh, on the... Uh, no, no, okay. All right, there you go. Herd immunity, this guy. Anyway, we're going to get into a lot of things here uh, on the Geek Buddies. Uh, the way it usually works is each of us uh, brings up a Geek News item. We talk about it amongst ourselves for your enjoyment. We take a break in between the Geek News items and jump into our main topic. And our main topic today is all the Star Wars news that dropped this week, some of the controversial stuff some of the uh, um, uh, news that's been released in terms of salaries and whatever. So, And the idea of where these films are going to be placed, which seems to be coming clearer and clearer into focus. So we're we'll talk about all of that. But let's uh, let's start off first with this news on uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler. This broke a little bit later last night. They are reuniting, if you remember them, uh, coming together for Fruitvale Station first, and then, of course, eventually for uh, Black Panther. They are reteaming. Uh, for what was supposed to what is supposedly a secret genre movie and getting this from a number of sources like Boris Kitt and others but it has since been revealed that it is a vampire film that they are working on here together Kugler will write the script and direct the film uh, and this is the first spec script from Kugler through his production company Proximity Media. Uh, he will he will serve as the lead producer as well with Zinzi Kugler and uh, Seb Ohanian. So, and the project's undering operating on such a veil of secrecy that little is known about it beyond it being a vampire situation here. Now, you know, he's coming off of Wakanda forever. He was taking a bit of a break here and now maybe re-inspired to get back into things. Maybe going back to basics by going to a smaller vampire film here with Michael B. Jordan, a guy that's been kind of the Robert De Niro to his Martin Scorsese. So, gentlemen, uh, Shane, I'll go to you first on this one. What are your thoughts on this? Do you like this pairing coming back together for this particular type of movie? Do we need another vampire movie uh, in our lives? Um, you always, you, you can always use another vampire movie. We're going to okay. talk about another one a little bit later. Vampires That's are always a, a, a fun, a, a, a fun creature to grace the, the big and the small screens and the two of them together. You know, you cannot argue the results. I mean, mm. the last four movies that Ryan Coogler has directed, Michael B. Jordan has been in all of them. Yeah, um, you know, you had the two Black Panther movies, you had Creed, you had Fruitvale Station. These two guys clearly work really well together. Yeah. And seeing that now Coogler uh, uh, is sort of unencumbered by his uh, Marvel commitments, he can do something. He can kind of get back to basics. Like, here's the story I want to tell. We don't have to serve any other anything else. All we have to do is serve this story right. with, you know, again, probably his favorite, one of his favorite leading men. So I think... Whatever is going to happen, I think Ryan Coogler coming off Wakanda Forever, where uh, again it was it was Murphy's Law in terms of what could have happened to that production. <laughs> I mean, true. literally yeah. everything that could have went wrong went wrong. And so paring it down, working with Michael B. Jordan again, I think whatever is going to come out is probably going to be great, and I imagine they are going to have a great time making it. Yeah, what do you think here, Mike? Because I mean, Coogler, the, uh, Michael B. Jordan said they're still working on a Creed three spinoff film. So, you know, Ryan, uh, uh, Ryan Coogler and Michael B. being connected through Creed as well. So what are your thoughts on all of this as they're coming together for a different type of approach? Superhero, uh, a boxer and now vampire. Your thoughts? I mean, I, I think this is all great. This is all great news mm. for me. Um, vampires are great. Monsters are, have always been used in movies to when they're done well, yeah, talk yeah. about other things. Mm, you know, right. zombies oh, okay. are there for us to deal with our fears about viruses and pandemics. Right, vampires right. have always been there to talk about the other. Sometimes vampires are stand-ins for queer romance and queer characters. Oh. I think there is a good chance that whatever Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan are coming up, 
it's not just going to be a fun vampire romp. It's probably going to say something. And it, if I had to put money on it, it would probably say something about the black experience. Um, and I think that's great. I mean, Ryan Coogler is a great storyteller. And as you guys already said, you know, I recently rewatched Wakanda Forever. Mm. It has some great stuff in it. It has a lot of stuff in it. And I do think that after going through a movie where you lost your lead, you had to switch gears, and there was like, oh, and can you put Riri Williams in it? And can we have this thing for the Wakanda series that's going to spin off? And oh, can Julia Louise Dreyfus do this? And oh, also, can you mention this? Oh, and also do this. To kind of take a step back and be like, let me just tell my own story probably just feels great. Um, And he loves working with Michael B. Jordan, as he should, because Michael B. Jordan is fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, he is a great actor. Ryan Coogler is a great director, great storyteller. And as Shannon said, we're going to talk about another vampire movie in a little bit that has me super excited. So I will throw this one on the pile of vampire movies from great actors and great director, writer, storytellers that I'm super excited for. Yeah, I mean, there must be something about this script or something he wants to say. I think you make an excellent point, Michael. There must be something that Coogler wants to say through the prism of a vampire film and certainly almost you know, no i wouldn't say almost all of his movies have a commentary in some w- shape or form and yes usually touching on the black experience within that arena of the movie but also touching upon an overall universal experience so i i'm curious to see what he's going to be saying about uh, vampires what he's using the vampire medium for uh, in ter- terms of telling the story. But you're right, Michael B. Jordan, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, I wonder what they're going to explore. Is this going to be a vampire that has lived through multiple centuries? Is this a newer vampire? Is this an exploration of being the other, being othered in a society? What's that like? How to live with people but not reveal yourself too much? I mean, certainly there's a lot of places you can go with a story like this. And I like that they're both involved um, uh, to bring it forward. And I'll be curious to see who else joins the cast. And once we get a little more information about what the uh, what the movie is going to be all about. It'll be fun to see uh, for sure. But do you like this as a next move for Ryan Coogler? I'll ask you as I wrap up this particular topic, do you guys like this as a next move for both Coogler and Jordan? I mean, Jordan's coming off Creed three, which of course has now attached to the Jonathan majors drama. Um, He'd been doing some stuff on prime video. He's doing commercials, but we haven't heard much of anything else with Michael B and with Ryan, as I said, coming off of Wakanda forever, taking a break. Do you think these are two guys are like, look, we want to go just go to a set where we just have some fun and and maybe get re-energized as artists working together. Do you like this as a next move for both of these guys? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think be, being in the Marvel machine, especially with how oh, with, with yeah. how Wakanda Forever went, I think being able to take a step back and like this is what I think the first production from Kugler's production yeah, company. Yeah. So this is the first thing that, you know, this is his, like yeah. everything. Like he's he's not attached to any IP. This is his, this is his and Michael B. Jordan's story. And in terms of Michael B. Jordan, in terms of all all the things that he's doing, you know, uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan is someone that is going to be getting some statues at some point in his life. Um, Not every project you do is going to be that, though. (laughs) And so I think the fact that he's taking a little time to try this, taking a little time to try this, this is a guy who seems to me, at least, is is in charge of his career and is is waiting for that next that next big project. And hopefully, actually, even though we're talking about this is this is, might be a smaller movie. Hopefully, this is it. Um, because again, Michael B. Jordan is a, he's a he's a terrific performer, and um, getting to see him collaborate with someone that he has worked so well with in the past yeah. in a story that they are the ones who are going to be making the sh- making the calls, making the shots. Yeah. I think that's a I think it's a great move for both of them. 
Yeah, Michael B. Michael, he has I Am Legend 2 in pre-production, Creed 4 in pre-production, Thomas Crown Affair Project in pre-production, uh, Rainbow Six in pre-production, but none of those necessarily are 100% to go. Pre-production can go away at any time. This one feels like it's much more assured than those yeah. other ones. Do you like this as a next step for both of these guys? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the great... Look, obviously, we spend most of our time talking about giant mega IP. We talk yeah. about DC. We talk about Marvel. We talk about Star Wars. And I will always go see. We will all go see those movies. We love them. But I think yeah. one of the other things, and we've talked about this before, that's great is that uh, these are the movies where, you know, you bring in a Ryan Coogler, a mm -hmm. Nia DaCosta, a Taika Waititi, uh, a Ryan Johnson. You know, you bring in some of these people that have had, like, success – and then you give them the big, big movies, and off of those movies, they get to go do their own original stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, look, say what you want about Last Jedi, love it or hate it, that led to Ryan Johnson mm -hmm. making um, Knives Out and Glass right, Onion, yeah. which yeah. most people are like, those are fucking great. Yeah. Um, so, like, the fact that, you know, these mega IP turned these writer-directors uh, and actors into household names so that they can then go do these other projects that are much more original, sometimes smaller projects, sometimes more interesting projects, right. I think is great. I think we need both. Uh, and if we only got mega IP, we would get bored with it really quickly. So here is yeah. two more small, weird, funky movies coming out that we can sink our teeth into. Hey, so to speak. Well, look at you doing this. Ah, Shannon. Well, Shannon's it. sick, so somebody has to pick up the slack. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder, you mentioned the Candyman remake. That was Nia DaCosta, a black filmmaker, making a horror. Jordan Peele making a horror, making numerous horrors as a black filmmaker. And here's uh, Ryan Coogler maybe putting his foot in the, or in the water, his toe in the water of horror as well. You think black vampire, you think Blackula. That's certainly a, a legendary <laughs> film from the 1970s, a black exploitation vampire film. <laughs> I was going to say, you think Blade. <laughs> or, well, Blade, right. But Blade's already an IP. Do you know what I'm saying? So he's not going to be Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's true, Eddie. Eddie, so there's a long history of black vampires <laughs> in the cinema, apparently. So gonna be curious to see where this one falls uh, when it uh, when it comes out and um, uh, you know where it takes its place in the pantheon of black vampires. Um, all right, well, let's take a quick break. We'll jump into uh, some stuff here going on with Madam Webb going to another creature here right after this. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Mr. Michael, take it away. Well, speaking of things that suck, we have some news on Madam Webb. <laughs> 
nothing too exciting uh, on the very <laughs> exciting release of Madam Web coming out, but a Norwegian film ticketing website, Film Web, uh, indicated recently on their website that the film is clocking in at 116 minutes, which yeah. makes it the longest movie thus far in the uh, in Sony's Spider-Man universe, or as it is also known, <laughs> Sony Pictures Marvel Universe of Characters, aka Spunk. <laughs> oh my god, wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, like we have Venom uh, came in at 97 minutes. Morbius was 104 minutes. We don't know how long Craven the Hunter and Venom 3 are going to be because right. they are still being made. But so far we got 116 minutes of Madam Web, which means it is the longest Sony Spider-Man movie that we are going to have to sit through. And additionally, <laughs> as they've been releasing things, we've gotten a few more shots released online of Adam Scott as the yeah. paramedic character who is rumored to be Uncle Ben, which is a thing that we can respond to about Madam Web. <laughs> so, gentlemen, how do you feel about sitting through the longest Sony Spider-Man movie, Madam Web, at 116 minutes, and potentially seeing Adam Scott as Peter Parker's Uncle Ben in a bunch of Spider-Man movies that thus far don't have a Peter Parker in them? Uh, go ahead, Shannon. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Man. I mean... The fact that the uh, live-action Sony Marvel films have yet to hit two hours, I mean, is is pretty funny. I mean, and that's not to say that a, a, a movie can only be good if it gets up to 120 minutes. That's absolutely not the case. There are plenty. There are plenty of great films that are 90 minutes, uh, 100 minutes. Um, Thus far, though, we've just not seen one under this umbrella. Right, right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I watched the trailer again, and it's just. Whoever chose to have that one line that has become so famous about researching spiders went in the Amazon when before she died. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is this a movie we're going to see? Of course, we're going to see it. We're, right. we're probably going to do a live review of it. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so, in terms of the length, like uh, you know, I'm glad that it's not two hours and twenty minutes. I'm glad that it, it's a little bit shorter. That this uh, whatever this uh, cinematic ride is going to be. Um, Adam Scott is one of the more interesting aspects of the film, and that I just really, really like Adam Scott. Um, the fact that he's playing Uncle Ben, it's like, as Vogel already said, okay, that's a thing. <laughs> How does that affect everything? I mean, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, again, the, the, the people that set out to make this movie, they wanted to make the best Madam Web movie that they could. Yeah. Um, time will tell whether or not they succeeded. We'll see. And John, yeah, Johnny, before you respond, just to yeah. give clarity to the rumors that are going around, and I think we said this when the Madam Web trailer came out, the rumors, if they are to be believed, and yeah. we don't know yet for sure if they're true, but if Adam Scott is playing Uncle Ben, it does seem to bring credence to this, is that this movie takes place in a world uh, pre-Peter Parker. Yeah. Where Madam Web and these other spider themed characters are trying to stop somebody who is going back in time or is at least trying to alter the future so that Peter Parker or Spider-Man never happens, which is yeah. why a younger Uncle Ben would sort of make sense in this time period. Think of this Madam Web as sort of Spider-Man has an unholy alliance with the Terminator movies. And that seems to be what is sort of happening here. 
Um, again, could be completely wrong. Yeah. Maybe Adam Scott isn't even Uncle Ben. But if that all is true, that sort of goes, okay, well, I kind of get why you might have a younger Uncle Ben in this movie. But, Johnny, how are you feeling about uh, about all of it? About all of it. Well, there's there's a lot here. First of all, I don't understand why you make this thing two hours. Why are you going to put the audience through it? You, you clearly maybe found the formula and making these Venom films 90 minutes. So people are in and out and you can do multiple showings at the theater. Um, I'm not saying, you know, uh, my uh, my co-host on the hot mic, Jeff Snyder, was giving me some shit going, no one was going 90 minutes. Okay, I'll go see it. If it was two hours, I wouldn't go see it. I don't know how people think. I wouldn't dare to be inside people's minds. I mean, I don't know how they think about this kind of situation. But two hours, that tells me they're trying to launch something off of this movie. That does not... And, I, and what I understand and what Jeff said last night is that there is no post credit scene. So this is very much a self-contained movie. And right now there is no, they're saying there's no post credit scene. It's what he's hearing. So this self-contained movie, it still doesn't make sense to me that it's almost two hours long. Um, it's already kind of dead in the water, no matter how many of these promos and little videos that they shoot, which are just horrible. Some of these promotional videos they've shot with all the actresses in them, it just is just mind-blowing why they think this is going to work. Um, the other part of this, though, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on it, is um, according to what Jeff has heard is that they removed all the 90s references in the movie. That's what all the reshoots, reported reshoots were about, is that someone messed up the time because there had been rumors, not that this was a true thing, there had been rumors that Andrew Garfield was going to be the Spider-Man in the movie, that he was going to be launched back into the Spider-Verse and through, through Sony as a Spider-Man in the movie, but he is not at this point in the movie in any way, shape, or form. So, But they were trying to, so when they didn't do that, they, uh, they had to take away the time. Someone higher up messed up the time of it all, and so they went back and reshot everything to remove 90s references. That means the clothes, that means the music, that means commentary on stuff that was going on in the 90s. So that's yet another, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, rotting piece of wood to throw on this fire to be like, how is this all going to work, for God's sakes, let alone the fake Spider-Man that, that I just showed on the screen here a few seconds ago that is uh, in the movie. So there's just a lot of things that, you, that as a comic fan, you're going, this, I don't understand how this is going to work, you know? So wait. It was set in the 90s. Yeah, supposed to be. As a, this is pre-Peter Parker, because Peter Parker is, you know, obviously modern right, day. Right. But then they got rid of the 90s references because Andrew Garfield is maybe going to be in the movie. But it was going to be Andrew either Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield, and they were doing the timing years-wise, and they didn't get it right, so they just went ahead and reshot everything. God, I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I don't know, man. Man, I can tell you. You know, it, well, it's like we were just talking about with Coogler. It's just like, like with this yeah. Coogler movie. It's like, you know, a lot of people, oh, why are you dogging on this movie and these franchises if they don't connect and, like, just let a movie be a movie? And, like, that's fine. That's totally I fine. get it. Yeah. When you're going to make your, you know, your indie vampire movie or you're doing an everything everywhere all at once or yeah. you're making a, uh, a poor things, mm. I don't go – well, I don't understand about what's what's the poor things extended universe. Like there are movies that you make that you're like, this is a movie that is just this is a great artistic 
cool movie that is all by its lonesome and I love it for what it is. Right. But part of the nature of what the, these giant IPs are, for better or for worse, when it's DC, when it's Marvel, when it's Star Wars, is that you are building this bigger universe and that there are different rules that you have to play by. Yeah. And I think that by any stretch, whether you enjoy Venom or you enjoyed Morbius or you're excited for Madam Web, Sony's trying to do a thing and they're not doing it. Yeah. So you can't you can't go. Oh well, let let them just be. Let them just be. Let it be what it is. No, like they're trying to do something very specific, and they're not achieving their goal. And I think that's the biggest issue. That's the conundrum. Yeah, I mean, uh, Shannon, if this one comes out and completely bombs, kind of like Morbius did, and and even when they tried to release it a second time, it crashed even harder. What's the logic here? Yes, Venom made a lot of money, but that doesn't mean you should keep going down this route, does it? I mean, we don't, as Michael said, we don't know what the Craven runtime is going to be. We don't know what the Craven reception to that is going to be. And there's a Venom 3 coming, for God's sakes. Well, and, you know, Venom 2, that Let There Be Carnage, like, that was, that was a bad movie. Yeah, it was. Um, it still made a lot of money. I mean, ah. even if this one comes out and, and underperforms, kind of like how Morbius did, they're going to keep going because they have yes. these, they have the rights to do it. I mean, the, the, it's one of those things like, I don't think we'll ever see a day and Vogel, feel free to chime in here and correct me if you think I'm wrong. I don't think we'll ever see a day where Sony gives up those Spider-Man rights just because <laughs> um, those Spider-Man movies have, have bankrolled the studio for, for a long time. Yeah. So they're going to keep throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. I mean, I think we all, kind of agreed that the most interesting one at this point, at least looks to be Craven um, mm -hmm. because you can do a story like you, you don't need him to be Craven. You can probably, you could make him whoever. Um, but the story looks at least from that first trailer, the story looks interesting enough. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe you're going to catch on to something here in terms of them building something. It seems like they want to um, whether or not they'll get there because they're having to constantly, adjust because morbius underperformed if this underperforms i don't know man i mean but but i i think we have not seen the last of the uh of the new characters in the spunk universe yeah yeah probably not. Like, yeah i mean look they they won't give it up and yeah. and and to be fair to sony them having the rights also gives us the spider-verse animated movies that's true 100 percent and the Spider-Verse animated movies are the only thing out there that may surpass the Tom Holland movies and the other original spider like like the 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 uh you know into the Spider-Verse and across the Spider-Verse by any stretch are two of the greatest Spider-Man stories that exist in cinema. True. Uh even if you don't think they're the best ones, they have to be up there for you. So they can get it right in some ways and I think look, the entire issue is they're not going to give up the characters but you have to address the, the spider in the room which is how do you tell a bunch of spider-man stories without spider-man you either have to go to feige and marvel and everybody and have a big meeting and say we want andrew garfield yeah we're gonna take andrew garfield you take tom holland we're gonna make sure that we all have cool crossovers when we need them but give us andrew garfield and that's a that's a path to go down or you go we're not gonna have a spider-man and we need to just be okay with that. And then we need to sit and look at the characters we have and what is the universe? Who who are our heroes? Who are our villains? And what are we bouncing off of? Because right now, it always just feels like they're 
trying to lean like oh like you know oh look at this trailer for mobius that morbius there's a spider-man poster in the background and it looks like the raimi spider-man and that means this or let's do a post-credit sequence where michael keaton's vulture shows up in our universe and says let's kill spider-man and you're like you're giving us information but you've clearly not made a plan so they're actually like in there there's a there's a world where what they want to do can be done and we would all go oh that's really interesting i'm in they just have not landed on it yet it's like watching a a terrible parents with a child and it's like the child is um uh acts terribly is unstable makes mistakes just flies off the women does crazy shit but then every once in a while which is what the spider-verse movies are the child has a good day and you're like oh the possibilities the possibilities and so you hold on and let the parents keep the child but you should really take the child from the parents. Anyway, all right. So that's that's the conversation there for Spider uh, Madam Web. Uh, anything more to add on this, Michael? Anything on on the outfits or the costumes? Anything you guys want to say? We're good to move on. Oh, there's plenty, but we'll save that for another day. <laughs> it sounds good. Let's take a quick break, and on the other side, Shannon's going to regale us with some trailers. We'll be right back right after this. Do 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 do. All right, Mr. McClung, take it away. We got some trailers, trailers, trailers. So the first one, actually, I I totally missed when this came out a week ago. I saw it because I went and saw The Beekeeper. And this is the trailer for Abigail. So this is from the uh, directing team Radio Silence. That is Matt Bettinelli-Open and Tyler uh, Gillette. Um, So these are the guys that are responsible for the last two screen movies. And they're also the ones who helmed one of my low key favorite movies of 2019, um, uh, Ready or Not. So this looks like right in that sweet spot of Ready or Not. Um, uh, This is something that uh, uh, I had actually chatted back in 2019 when this movie came out, when Ready or Not came out. The very iconic imagery of Samara weaving in a torn wedding dress holding a shotgun with a gun belt around her shoulder. Um, Vogel and I were talking about, he's like, I bet that's how this movie started. It was a piece of concept (laughs) art um, with this, this gal in a wedding dress wearing Chuck Taylors and a gun. Um, This one seems to be maybe from that same, that same pool of you have a tiny, uh, it looks like an 11 year old ballerina who is also a vampire. The quick summary is after a group of criminals kidnapped the ballerina daughter of a powerful underworld figure, they retreat to an isolated mansion, unaware that they're locked inside with no normal little girl. This one has a killer cast for, you know, no pun intended with uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Melissa Barrera, Dan Stevens, Catherine Newton, Kevin Durand. Um, This trailer looks like it is going to be a blast. Essentially they kidnap a little girl keep her trapped inside a mansion. They find out they're actually trapped in there with her. Um, Literally, my jaw was on the ground the entire time this trailer was running in the theater, but I'll throw throw it over to you, gentlemen. Mikey, why don't you take it away? What did you think of our first look at Abigail? Well, you know, this past Halloween, I was over, I was up in San Francisco at some friend's house for the weekend, and the day after the big Halloween party, we were all hanging out, we were watching scary movies, and I was like, have you guys seen Ready or Not? And a bunch of them hadn't, so we put it on. That movie is great. Yeah. Ready or Not is a great movie and it manages to balance horror, comedy, suspense, thriller. It just it it's just pitch perfect tonally throughout. And this trailer looks like it's exactly in that vein. It looks so much fun and it's just a great idea. It's okay. 
we kidnapped the little girl. We're the bad guys. This little, this poor little girl is the victim. Oh no, wait, let's just flip it all on its head and watch these people go down one by one. Uh, and these guys already proved, uh, you know, like they, they revived the scream franchise as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like, you know, scream one classic scream Two, beloved scream three has Parker Posey in it. That's about all we're going to say about it. Scream four didn't really get off the ground and five and six, like scream is kind of back in the pop culture zeitgeist in a way that it hasn't been. So they know what they're doing. And this just seems like one of those super simple, great ideas that you're like, let's just watch this unfold. I was so excited by this trailer. I can't wait to go see this movie. Johnny, what'd you think? You like vampire ballet? I, I was, I loved the twist in this trailer. And I loved it because, I mean, what else infuriates you more than a child who actually knows what they want and goes and gets it? It unsettles you. And so seeing her tearing everybody apart, turning the tables on everybody, I thought it was genius. And And look, Dan Stevens getting to play a character character is always great. I remember him uh, in, as the lead in The Guest fantastic small horror film from adam wingard that i thought was great and so to get it to sort of see him getting to do a little fun acting as a character actor i thought was fun to see melissa barrera maybe not so much but certainly everyone else Catherine newton kevin durant is i'm excited to see what we're going to get overall from these actors but the young girl she is doing great throughout this whole trailer. I love the way this is shot. They're kind of radio silence is look, it's no surprise that Scream 7 has fallen apart after Radio Silence leaves the project because of what all the stuff that's gone on since. And everyone's now everyone's left the project and they're starting over from scratch. Radio Silence was holding that thing together, going where they were going with five and six. No matter what your feelings are about the overall product, as Michael said, they were bringing back, bringing it back in the pop culture zeitgeist. This is their wheelhouse. They are the Lord and Miller of these kinds of movies. As you said, ready or not, that kind of stuff. They understand the humor within the horror and how to balance the both when you watch their movies. I agree with Shannon. Ready or not is one of my favorite movies that I ever saw. I got to interview Samara Weaving about it. It was a blast. Such a good movie. So you see this situation here. I'm like, okay, let's see what we're going to get here. All tra- And it's a cheap movie. It's all in one house. It's all in one house. So smart in how they're approaching it. I think it's going to make a crap ton of money. It, it's funny that, you know, I, I, figure, I forget if it was Phil Lord or Chris Miller who said it in an interview recently. It was about mm. the Spider-Verse movies. But he said that one of the things, one of the ways they think about storytelling is when, when an audience goes to a movie, they love to laugh. They love yeah. to cry. They love to be like suspense and freaked out and what's going to happen next. And the closer you can get all of those emotions to to happening at the same time, the more <laughs> thrilled the audience is. Like you want to like be crying and then laugh and then be like, oh, shit. And like like getting it all like really tight and Scream 5 and 6 have that, Ready or Not yeah. has that. And this trailer all by itself, like you're like, oh, yeah, that's the feeling. It's that feeling of all the emotions happening at once that you go, oh, my God, I'm feeling so many things. I want to go see this movie right now. And I think that's a really great comparison. And, Johnny, you made a great point, like the, the, the fact that it all takes place in the in, in one location, you know, one one big mansion. Same thing with Ready or Not. Right. Uh, yeah, I think I think this movie is going to be an absolute blast and I cannot wait to see it in a crowded theater. Um, yeah. And Abigail comes out April 19th, April 19th, April 19th, 2024. So just in a few months here. And, and uh, our ne- real quick, Shannon. Sorry. Yeah. Remember, that's an otherworldly supernatural thing in Ready or Not. This is a vampire. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they're slowly but surely kind of connecting these things into a bit of a radio silence verse 
horror verse here within themselves. So just something to keep an eye out. I may be off base, but who knows? So, anyway. I mean, I'm crossing my fingers. It's the same house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that the ballerina's underworld figure father. It's just like, oh, what used to be in here? Sounds like my type of real estate. So again, April 19th, 2024. Our next trailer is actually our second look, but it's really our first look at the Adam Sandler starring Spaceman. This is from director Johan Rink, who directed all five episodes of HBO's Chernobyl. Um, Adam Sandler plays an a, a Czech astronaut, um, the first Czech astronaut who's on a deep space uh, mission, a deep space adventure, and becomes very solo adventure and becomes um, very very homesick. Really starts to miss his uh, starts to miss his wife. Wonders if there's a relationship to go back to, and he encounters. We think uh, an extraterrestrial who is voiced by Paul Dano. And it's one of those situations. Is this thing real or am I actually kind of losing my mind? You know, we've seen over the years, Adam Sandler continuing to you know dip his toe into the dramatic pool. Mm. And this looks like this looks like an Adam Sandler we haven't seen before, mainly because he's go. It looks like he's going full castaway and that the majority of this movie is going to be him. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. Johnny, what do you think of our first look at Spaceman? Yeah, I had a great time reacting to this one. I just did it as a lark, I think on Monday or Tuesday, whenever this trailer came out, because I like Adam Sandler when he goes into the drama places. I'm such a fan of Adam Sandler and drama. So when I saw that this was coming out with a trailer, because they had released like a 30-second teaser one, uh, last week where he's just walking through the water, which is part of the trailer that we, the overall trailer we got. And I was like, okay, cool. Now the trailer job, I'll take a look and react to this one. And I had a blast with this one. I like this because I'm a big fan of space movies. You said, you said a movie in space or snow Roca is it. Like it's basically, those are the two locations you're assured of me going to see your film. They that's why space. you love Empire Strikes Back. That's right. Space and snow. Come on. That's the best oh, one. God. I think there was some snow in, in, in Wrath of Khan as well. No, I'm joking. But like, look at this whole thing. With, with the, you look at this whole situation with what they've laid out here in this uh, trailer. I was really surprised by it because I like this director. I loved Chernobyl. Um, I like that it's going to be, it's got shades of moon in that he's having conversations with something that is maybe guiding him through this journey. Solaris, it has shades of Solaris, both the original and the remake of like contemplating this relationship with my wife as I'm out in space. You know, what do I do? What do I feel? Is Carrie Mulligan, what's her role in terms of the amount of screen time? We know he's, she's his wife. Is this all flashback? Like, is he on the mission the whole time? in the, uh, in the uh, uh, spaceship or wherever he's at the whole time. And what is the point of him creating this character? And why is this creature, if it's not created, if it's real, why is this creature showing up now to help him through this moment? What's this all leading to? So I have a feeling there's so much more going on here that we just glimpsed in the trailer. And I can't wait for this film to come out and really kind of enjoy it. Because it comes out in the theaters first, and then it's coming out on Netflix. Mikey, what do you think? You ready to go to space with Adam Sandler? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I don't trust that fucking spider. <laughs> I watched that trailer. I watched Never that trailer. I was like, I was like, that spider's eating his memories. Don't let him do it. Don't you're gonna kill that spider at the end. It's eating your memories. Um I don't it looks great. Like it looks really uh eh, let me caveat that. Okay. It looks really interesting. 
There you go. Like it could go either way. Like the right. definitely the is this giant spider real or it, did I create this in my mind is a really compelling sort of what's going on here. Right. Adam Sandler carrying an entire dramatic ish movie by himself. Very weird kind of subject matter. Space spiders like flashbacks, weird moments where Carrie Mulligan's like a princess on a log. Like yeah. I, it's a lot of things that could be really cool. Um, or it could go in uh, – it could go south real fast. But yeah. it definitely intrigued me. Like it started off – it's one of those trailers that you know, you start feeling, okay, Adam Sandler's in space. Okay, he's lonely. I get it. And then the spider shows up and you're like, nope, didn't get that. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> so we're going to see where this goes. But but yes, I was like, is this spider real? And then I was like, if this spider is real, it's eating his memories. That's, that's, my, <laughs> that's, my, that's, that's what I think is happening and I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, uh, Spaceman is having its premiere at the 74th Berlin International Film Festival before wow. it hits next Netflix on uh, March 1st. So, again, that's another one that's coming down the pipe. Klaus, uh, it, what did it, you think of the spider, Klaus? Was the spider, <laughs> what did it symbolize, Klaus? Yeah. Well, wow. it's funny that you adopted a German ab- accent. <laughs> because our next trailer is for, we don't often do these, but we got a trailer for a game and it's for Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. Uh, yeah, this one, like we knew that there was an Indiana Jones game in development. Um, but yeah, we got our first trailer just a couple, just a couple of days ago. And this one is from Lucasfilm Games as well as Machine Games. They're the team behind the reboot of the uh, Castle, Castle Wolfenstein mm. games. Um, the idea that we were going to have a brand spanking new Indiana Jones game made me so happy. You know, you've seen how well those adventure games can be through Tomb Raider, through Uncharted, and how my heart broke when I saw it was a first person game. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the advantages of having a character like Indiana Jones getting to look at him third person is you get to see not only the, the hat, the jacket, getting to see him whip, but also you get those classic Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones mannerisms that there are going to be cutscenes. There are aspects that you will see. You will see it go third person, but for the most part, this is a, you are literally looking through the eyes of Indiana Jones. So I'll say more about it after my, after my cohorts, but Mikey, what did you think of our first look at Indiana Jones and the great circle? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm right now. I have about twenty uh, percent left in Spider-Man Two on PS5, and mm. holy hell, what a ride! Yeah, great storytelling, great graphics, great gameplay. Swinging through the city as Miles, swinging through the city as Peter. Like it's been a it's been a ride, and the cutscenes are great. The story, the way it lays out, the way you cut back and forth between the characters is great. So watching this trailer, I was kind of like, ah. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you that I think the uh, the first person aspect of it is kind of a, a little bit of a letdown. It's like, okay, well, I guess like I you don't feel like you're playing Indiana Jones. You're playing kind of whatever. Um, and it's just something about the graphics, even in the cinematics, I was just kind of left wanting. And it kind of made me go, the trailer ended and I was like, okay, as somebody who by any stretch is the core audience for anything that Lucasfilm does with Indiana Jones. Am I unimpressed with the graphics and gameplay here? Or 
has Indiana Jones just reached his limit? Ooh. Like, have we reached the, like, like, I love, I will always love Indiana Jones. Right, right. But Indiana Jones is a singular person. Uh, and the only other franchise that is similar, basically because George Lucas and Steven Spielberg made it this way because Spielberg couldn't direct a Bond movie, is James Bond. But part of the James Bond franchise is that we're always going to recast James Bond. We're used to it. With Indiana Jones, it just kind of feels like, all right, you know, I, I'd rather get an Uncharted game. I'd rather get a Tomb Raider game. I don't know that this is really doing it for me. And I don't, and I can't quite tell if it's the Indiana Jones of it or if it's the gameplay of it or if it's some combination of both. But I watched this trailer and I was like, oh, this should be good. And then I was like, eh, maybe I'll play it. I don't know. The bile rising in my throat <laughs> at your words, even though I don't disagree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, it's it's nasty. Uh, Johnny, <laughs> what do you think? Is this circle great or is it just uh, just a circle? This is where it benefits me not to be as much of an Indiana Jones stan or mark as you two are. Because I can sit outside of this thing and go, this looks like fun. I would absolutely love to do it. I looked it up. Troy Baker is the voice of mm-hmm. Harrison Ford of Indiana Jones, rather, and does a wonderful job, of course, from Last of Us, if those, if those of you who played those games. So great to hear him uh, be a part. He does a great job sounding like Harrison Ford. So I was really surprised by that. And the fact that they're setting this thing one year after the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark and before the Last Crusade, so you can put it in canon in your mind. So are there going to be allusions to things in the last crusade, like, is there going to be some commentary about his dad in this? Are we going to hear some maybe cuts um, dialogue from Sean Connery from the movie? I don't know. So that's interesting. Of course, he's got a German villain that he's going up against. So that makes all the sense in the world uh, with all of this. And you've got um, an actress here. Gina Lombardi uh, is the character, rather, voiced by Italian actress Alessandra Mastronati, who you, we saw in The Unbearable um, a Weight of Massive Talent. So it's a, it's got a nice collection of actors being a part of this. And it's not all just from the first person. According to what I'm seeing here uh, in the description in EW, it's primarily set in the first person point of view, but the game often, they use the word often, pulls back to a third person perspective during cutscenes and environmental traversal to give fans those money shots of Indy with his whip and hat. And it's an, it's a mix of story, puzzle solving, open world exploration and discovery and stealth. So I like that combo, but again, because I don't have quite the um, uh, insane addiction to the Indiana Jones franchise, I can separate my fandom and just kind of play this game. What sucks about it, though, I will say this, it's not on PS5. It's only on the Xbox One and the PC, which is forcing me to maybe consider buying an Xbox One, which I fucking don't want to do, but I may have to, because there's another game that I wanted to play that's on Xbox One only, and I'm like, God damn it. So anyway, those are my thoughts. I do love John Roca. I like going, the trailer. I do love John Roca going. I'm like, I think Indiana Jones might have had its day. Shannon's like, I love Indiana Jones. And Roca's like, the thing about me being the one who's not addicted to Indiana Jones. I'm like, I literally just said, I think he might have had his day. You also said, eh, to the trailer, which, and I liked the trailer. Yeah, but I think, but again, it's like, you after playing. your fandom that's influenced you to think it's had its day. It's not part of your fandom feeling that way. No, I don't think okay. it is. I, th- I think it's more of the fact that it's just like when you look at what we live in this era right now where if it's star- like if it's Star Wars, if it's mm. any of these things, it's like, oh, well, it's the next generation of heroes. It's like it's the Scream franchise. It's like, right, well, right, this right. is Billy's, you know, like we, we go to this is the it's what the Scream kind of 
coined the phrase. It's the requel. You know, we're, we live in the era of the requel. And Indiana Jones, by definition, you can't requel him. There's nowhere to go. It's Indiana Jones. It's Harrison Ford. It's always been that. Right. And so it's like – and as we saw from Dial of Destiny, which you could argue maybe like the movie wasn't everything it could have been. But in like general, yeah, yeah. people just don't seem to have – you know, it's 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 set in a very specific time period. Mm. It's a it's always going to be a period piece. Harrison Ford is the guy, and even watching the gameplay, um, aside from the fact that it's Indiana Jones, like if this wasn't Indiana Jones, I would watch this game trailer and go, "This is kind of a shitty ripoff of Tomb Raider or Uncharted, which have way better graphics." Like that's kind of the vibe. Like the Indiana Jones part of it is the only part that makes this trailer interesting. Mm. But other than that, like. You go to any Uncharted game, and I think it looks way cooler than a lot of what we saw in this trailer. But that's my point. I think both of you don't like the look of this trailer, uh, if I'm saying. And I'm wondering if that's because you have such a high expectation for Indiana Jones that it has to match that kind of approach. No, I, I, I think the, I, I think the Harrison Ford likeness is good. I mm. think seeing the – seeing. Um, what, Denim Elliott, uh, uh, Marcus, Marcus Brody, Brody. Yeah, Marcus seeing Brody. Marcus Brody. Like, I think the Indiana Jones things they've done all seem correct and fine. Like, it wasn't like I was like, that's not Harrison Ford. It not really my Harrison, more... not my Indiana. Yeah, it wasn't like that. It was just more like the gameplay itself. I was gotcha. kind of like, yeah, all right. All right. So, um, yeah, so it's a combination. Like, I am going to go out on a limb and say it's not that Indiana Jones has had his day. I think what we were presented with was not as good as we have experienced with other adventure games. I mean, mm. the, the Tomb Fair Raider points. reboot, the Uncharted games, I mean, they have really leveled up the right. adventure, the adventure franchise. And when you have as iconic a character as Indiana Jones, who he, he is the one who set the standard for what everyone has been aping off of. Yep. Um, you have to, you have to deliver what Uncharted, Uncharted and Tomb Raider did and even more. And mm -hmm. that's what the trailer didn't do. I agree. I'm like the, the graphics. I'm like, yeah, that looks like Harrison Ford. Yeah. That looks like Denim Elliott, but there is something just slightly off. Um, and I think you add into the fact the first personness, which I mean, I went on uh, uh, one of our one of our uh, uh, one of our audience members. I'm blanking on the name right now, but they reached out on Twitter and were like, "Hey, what do you think?" And I was like, "Ah, first person. Why did it have to be first person?" Uh, and then I went through, and that has been the comment from a lot of people. Is just like, "Why would you take the most iconic silhouette in, in or one of the most iconic silhouettes in, in cinema history and 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 not use it?" I mean, and using, you know, saying like, well, we've got these money shots. That's not, that's not good enough. Right. That, that is not good enough. I get that the, the folks who made Wolfenstein, that they do first person games. Yeah. Um, aside from the fact that they make me nauseous, um, but you, you're, you're not using everything that's on the table and, yeah. and not being able to see Indiana Jones crack his whip. And like, again, if you have played an Uncharted game, if you played a Tomb Raider game, you know that when you don't move the character for a second, they have pre-programmed mannerisms. Mm. And some of them are really funny. And not to take advantage of all mm. those that Indiana Jones has, to me, is just such a cataclysmic mistake. Um, okay, am I going to go out and buy an Xbox One for this? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but I will try to, I will try to find someone who has one Maybe I'll take a drive down to San Diego <laughs> and, and and play this game. Oh yeah, uh, but more than likely, oh. I'm I'm guessing just I, I do agree with Vogel. Like what was being presented, there was just something 
slightly off. Okay. And I do think the first person this is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll find out at some point this year. They haven't um they haven't released uh, an actual date, but they did say it'll be 2024. That tells me it's going to be post summer. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, before we leave the land of trailers, I got to ask you guys this real quick. There was a trailer that dropped this week. I did not do a reaction to it because honestly, I was just like, I don't know. And then I watched it and I was left in a state of confusion. Um, This is Jennifer Lopez. She has a new trailer she dropped for this album of hers coming out called This Is Me Now, which is uh, 10 years later after 2000 or 20 some years later after 2002 album. This is me then. So this one's called This Is Me Now, a love story. There's an accompanying short film that comes with this, and they dropped a trailer for it. And it is just all kinds of weird things going on here with uh, uh, dance sequences and futuristic stuff. There's a big metal steampunk heart in the middle of it. It's all kind of madness. So I got to ask you guys, like when you watch this, what the fuck is going on here? Is this her answer to Taylor Swift's eras or Beyonce's concert film that came out, or was she trying to take advantage of that? Because it looked like a mess. What did you guys think? You know, I so I am not the audience for any sort of um, <laughs> any sort of showcase of what a singer wants to do. If Fair. they want to. You know, even back in the MTV days, like music videos, I'm like, I might make it through the end of it. Um, (laughs) So I'm not the guy for this. Um, But having watched the trailer, to me, it looks kind of like a uh, blue blue screen bonanza um, with subject matter that I just don't care about. This just it to me, this just comes off as so silly and so melodramatic um and i'm someone who actually does like musicals um so just watching this i mean i agree like like if there's if there's someone who's in the market for a steampunk heart that would be me and it's like this just this is just this this just this ain't for me if it is for you man i hope you have a blast um but yeah I won't be watching this. <laughs> yeah, Michael, it seems like she's trying to go the Taylor Swift route, like she did with that documentary a couple of years ago, kind of reframing the narrative around the criticism around her. And she retook the narrative. And now she's obviously a massive star. Beyonce kind of did the same thing in her own way as well, retaking the narrative mm-hmm. back. This seems like JLo trying to do that in some form in this film or in this trailer, right, for this film that's going to accompany the album. What did you think of this trailer real quick? I think it all depends on the album. Like, like most music videos that Shannon can't seem to get through, (laughs) they could get really weird. Like if you like there, you go back through the history of music videos and there is some weird shit. And if the weird shit is attached to a banging song, great. Mm. If the weird shit is attached to a song that you don't care about, eh, no, I don't know. So if you're a big uh, Jennifer Lopez fan and this album comes out and you think those songs are bangers and then you get to go watch this thing that sort of mm. contextualizes her album visually with some awesome dance numbers and some great choreography and some really weird shit, it might be your thing. Like mm. watching it, I, I was like, what the fuck am I even watching right now? Like I felt <laughs> like I was on an ayahuasca trip, but it wasn't necessarily a bad trip. I just need to know what the soundtrack is to know if it's a good trip or a bad one. And it could go either way. I think that's a great point. If the accompanying music is good, which in my opinion, she hasn't had a lot of good music since the nineties. But if the accompanying music is good, then I guess it'll make sense. But you know, I always worry about these things because it's always like, Oh no, I've been, 
I've been vilified. I've been unfairly maligned. Everyone else is at fault but me. I, I've been misunderstood, and I just have trouble with that. I think it's healthier to say, like, okay, I have I take ownership of some of my behavior here, but there was also this behavior that was bad. So you get it's a little more of a healthier approach to these kinds of things. So yeah, I don't know. but I That's, mean, like, what is she really vilified for? Is like people want to like pick on her because she had a lot of relationships? Like, it's not. No, this isn't. This isn't she like was she, a shithead to a lot of people on sets, which I know from people who've worked. Yeah, with, but like yeah. that doesn't seem like that's what this is about. Like this is not her saying I'm not a shitty person on set. Like this is really her talking about her Being past relationships. Man. Yeah, she, yeah, this is a very like con, like just contextually and again having mm. not heard the album, like she is like I would like to talk about what I think about romance and love right. and how I am someone who's a hopeless romantic and all of these relationships that I've been through in my life on my journeys that people want to say oh, I was using people or I was doing this. Yeah. This is what was really going on. It's not like I'm a horrible person. Let me take back the narrative. So I'm like, let, let her talk about what she wants to talk about. She's an artist. But if it's, but if it's going to be blaming all my partners and not myself, then I don't know if that's necessarily the healthiest approach, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, because this could be a really interesting film or this could be like that black box one person show you get invited to, but yet your friend's doing and you have to go and you're like, oh my God, kill me. It could be that too. So we'll see. Insert joke about shows that my geek buddies have done that I have <laughs> gone to see here. Whoa. Easy Whoa. now. <laughs> easy. That the birds. Easy. Very, very pointed. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I just remember Michael Vogel in the gray spray paint in his hair. But anyway, let's take a break okay. and we'll get to Okay. The- okay. Thrancer. Yeah, look, I admit it. <laughs> I'm not J-Lo. I'll take ownership of my shit. Let's take a break. We'll get into some big uh, stuff with Star Wars here right after this. Do, 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 do. It is a shame that we don't have any video of our former travails on stage. If it could be is that a shame? <laughs> is that a shame? Oh, you should First have seen. All, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, the memories in my mind. <laughs> No video will ever be better than what I got going up here when I think of some of the things that we've all done. Yeah, true. And witnessed each other too. That's <laughs> we've all listen, we oh. all been we mm. all been in some stinkers. <laughs> yeah, I tried to explain Thrancing to the lady outlaw. She couldn't stop laughing. She left like nine minutes about the whole <laughs> I mean, just for everybody, just oh. to briefly contextualize, oh, no! I know we're running over. Just John Roca was in Hamlet, a Thrance musical and Thrancing was just basically like they would say the Shakespeare lines yeah. and then just start dancing. moving. Yes. Like <laughs> dancing, like dancing to the Shakespeare. Yeah. It was, it, 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 and I got the giggles halfway through the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit lost in the mid 2000s. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and was doing that thing where like I was trying to support my friend, but I was burying myself in the seat because I couldn't stop laughing and I was crying. And like our friends were like taking their programs and covering me yeah. as, as Roka was, you know. Oh. Cutting a rug in iambic pentameter. <laughs> no, Ophelia, no. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to Star Wars stuff. Let's talk about it. So some stuff broke this week with Star Wars. I'll bring up a picture of Daisy Ridley because uh, some of the stuff Jeff broke uh, on his uh, uh, newsletter here the, that you can sign up for at theinsider.com. It's, I think, $9.99 a month. But he talked about, uh, through his sources there at Star Wars, and trust me when I tell you that he has 
some very strong sources at Star Wars that Daisy Ridley was paid $12.5 million to come back and be a part of this film that is being directed by Charmaine Obeid Chinoy, who, you know, some section of the fandom is upset about. Most of the section of the fandom is not. Um, and there's also these rumors about Sean Levy's film for Star Wars, and he's heard, Jeff has, that Ray will also be in that film, not necessarily leading the film, but will be in that film, but we don't know at what age. Is, is it going to be an older Ray? Is it going to be a Ray now, like with Daisy Ridley? Is it going to be a super older Ray? You know, like what people rumored that Max von Sydow was supposed to be maybe Ezra in in uh, in um, in the sequel trilogy. So uh, there were a lot of rumors going around with all of this. And then Jeff dropped yesterday that there is even the possibility that if Charmino obeyed Chinoy, which some people have been saying now this this week on through some of their sources, that that Ray film may be indefinitely delayed. But other people push back on that. There's even rumors that if that if Charmino Bay Chinoy is taken off the film, that Sean Levy would just slide in and direct that one. So it's a lot of drama going on in the world of Star Wars with all of this stuff. And then you have that Grogu and Mando film coming out first here. Uh, and one final piece of, uh, of information. Well, actually, let's just talk about that and we'll move on to that. Michael, what are your thoughts on this with the whole thing with Ray? So wait. Go ahead. I, so we got John Favreau doing Mando. Yes, Mando and Grogu. Mangle doing Jedi Origin. Right. Charmino uh, Bechinoy doing the yeah. Ray movie. Yes. Filoni doing his culmination of everything Filoni is doing yes. movie. Yes. What is Sean Levy's movie? Sean Levy's movie, which is still in pre-production. They're working on it, writing it, whatever. It is supposed to be a Star Wars movie that has Ray in it. That is what Jeff and a number of sources are reporting. But one of the things that Jeff uh, went further on last night is that he heard if they move Charmino Bay Chinoy off the film, right. they're either going to combine the scripts, which to me sounds like a fucking stupid idea, or they're going to just move him in to either direct his script and just stop all production on the Charmino Bay Chinoy film, or he will come in and direct Stephen Knight's script with Ray and then later down the road do his movie as well. So it seems like a lot of uh, moving pieces on a, on a situation like this that people are already kind of feeling a little trepidations about. So here's a couple of things that I think one, sure. as far as, as far as how much money Ray's getting paid, good for fucking her. Mm -hmm. Get, get Daisy Ridley paid. Like they can't get do shit without her. Yep. If they, if this is the direction they want to go, they could always just be like, we're going to jump 39 years in the future. But if they <laughs> want to pick up the pieces of this last trilogy and build it, you got to build it around Daisy Ridley. Yep. Let her get paid. Good for her to do it, girl. Um, so that's what I think about that. As far as the rest of this, like, it, it's if it hadn't been Jeff breaking the story, I would have been like, this is just people getting all, like, rowdy on, mm. on online. But because he broke it, like, I just hope Lucasfilm learned their lesson post-Last Jedi. Yeah. Which is, look, whether you – and again – we all don't agree on this at all. So, like, whether you like Last Jedi or don't last, don't like Last Jedi, the fact that they overcorrected so hard and said, oh, we upset people, let's make sure we don't upset people, yeah. let's try and overcorrect in the other direction. If if they're overcorrecting and being like, oh, maybe we bring in Sean Levy if this doesn't work out, whatever, because of all of this, people getting mad about what she said about women and men and whatever, like, yeah. that is dumb. Now, there's also the chance that they might be looking at what's happening with her movie 
and just regardless of any mm, of the hubbub right. online going, ooh, is this not really working for us? Right. Artistically, is this the wrong path to walk down? Yeah. And if that's the case, you can also argue, and we've all had these arguments, like they thought that Lord and Miller weren't working for them. And looking right. at everything that Lord and Miller has done after that, it's like, well, they were probably wrong about that. So are they, you know, what's really going on? And I think they, look, there's a lot riding on this choice. I think even at Lucasfilm, they know the last trilogy didn't, ultimately land where they would have ideally wanted it to land and yeah. thank fucking God they have Mando and Grogu and Ahsoka. Like that's really where they're sitting right now. And they know that with this next thing, whatever Ray does post this is either going to go, all right, we're going to look at that new trilogy the way we look at the prequels where we think it's pretty stupid, but we ended up somewhere good. So we're going to be okay with it. Or we're going to be like star Wars is dead. I don't ever want to know anything else. I just want to go watch Anakin and Luke and Leia and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and don't ever talk to me about Star Wars again. And that's kind of where they're at. So I get that there's probably a lot of stress about it, but I hope they don't overcorrect just because fans are being stupid because Star Wars fans will always be stupid. That's it. Fair point. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on all of this? I mean, in terms of how much she's getting paid, like that is... That is quite a uh, quite a promotion. Quite a <laughs> she, yeah. she probably got from from the first trilogy. Um, and if it's a situation where I want, is this for one movie? If if, if she is going to pop up potentially in other films, is this sort of like all encompassing? I don't know. But either way, you know, good for her. Like that's that's a great payday. The whole idea that after these you know sound bites came out, that they would remove a director from a movie and potentially move someone in who was not developing that script. That seems like, like an overcorrection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think there's the possibility that the further they get down the road, I mean, again, this, this Damon Lindelof was dismissed from the project because of some creative differences. They bring, right. bring in Stephen Knight, who's a great writer. I mean, this is the guy from Peaky Blinders. Um, but it, ultimately if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, Again, Lucasfilm has a, a, a history now of announcing movies and those movies never seen the light of day. Um, so, but again, I think as Vogel said, if you are going to continue off of the sequel trilogy, the character that you're going to most likely use is Rey. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I, I don't think we're going to get to the point where like Star Wars is dead right. but i do think there's the potential especially based off of the the reception to the sequel trilogy there is the potential that you make it less special and that to me is the most dangerous thing is yeah. because if it becomes sort of like ah it's just another star wars movie it's kind of where the mcu has gotten themselves to right. like ah it's just another marvel movie that seems like the most precarious mm -hmm. position to have your ip that i mean granted you've made your money back now after what five movies um, five movies and how, however many series, but that was still, you paid billions of dollars for this. And if you were able to basically squeeze all the juice out of it in about a decade, that would really be a shame. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see yeah. there. And I agree the 12 and a half million. I think that's uh, more than earned for Daisy and considering all the shit that she went through and to bring her back into the project, you got to pay her because of the, Stuff And so I see some people who've never done a damn thing in their lives going like, oh, well, they shouldn't have paid her that. It was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. These are these actors and these artists. There's a certain uh, stuff that's negotiated. There's certain factors that are involved when these uh, salaries or when these paydays are, are um, settled on. And so those are those things that none of us will have access to 
probably because we probably won't be in the probably won't hear anything about what was said in the room and negotiating. But I don't mind the 12 and a half. Get her paid. Why not? She had to endure a lot of shit being a part of this franchise. And to be fair, she hasn't really done much of anything that has blown up since the franchise. So you're not paying 20 or 30, you know, and Charmaine Obey Chinoy, that's a, she's not going to be demanding a lot of money. Stephen Knight doesn't have a lot of experience writing screenplays. So she's going to be de- demanding a lot of money. So you're, you're saving money in other areas so that you can pay her well, the 12 and a half million. And then we'll see how big this film is going to be. Because as Shannon said, you don't want a Marvel situation where people didn't care, didn't go see the movie. And you kind of launch some big stuff out of that movie that not a lot of people are going to see or care about, or they're going to catch up on, on social media or on the articles instead of actually going to see your movie. Yeah. Michael, you wanted to chime in? What was that? Yeah. Just like this whole thing is this whole, like they saved money in other areas, like 12 and a half million for a star Wars, for your lead, for your star Wars movie is not some shocking amount of money. Like mm-hmm. you think, what do you think Robert Downey Jr. And Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans, like there are a bunch of people in Marvel movies that are getting fucking paid to oh, be in those movies. RDJ for sure is getting paid. Um, Daisy Ridley as your lead yeah. at 12 and a half million is like, it's not, it's not like when Jim Carrey got paid 20 million in cable guy, which also made a lot of sense, even though that movie uh, didn't make a ton of money, it made more money than it would have made without Jim Carrey in it. Like True. 12 and a, like, it's like people who are complaining about it. I'm like, this is, this isn't even a, Oh, well, they're really going to have to make it up in some other place. Cause it's so crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, she's a fucking lead. Like, calm down, people. <laughs> I also yeah. think it's ridiculous that, yeah, again, and I'm stressing this over and over again, that you would bring, as Shannon said, you'd bring someone else last minute to come in and direct the script that someone else wrote and you haven't worked on. Like, that just screams just, uh, I don't know, a train wreck, yet another train wreck. And I don't think you can launch bringing back Daisy Ridley to play Ray in a film that's going to uh, ultimately not be satisfying. I think that's a colossal mistake to make it in but, where you're going. So you got to make that decision quick, like early in the process, not near the end or before you're about to start. Or it isn't, I mean, you know, and yeah. I think we've talked about this before, but like just to contextualize where they're at and, yeah. and we've said this, but like post the new trilogy. Yeah. And where everyone's like, well, they got to do this. They got to do this. Like what is a star Wars movie with no empire? Yeah. No stormtroopers, no Palpatine, like right. the Jedi order is gone. Like, yeah. what, what is this universe? Like what JJ Abrams did for better or for worse with force awakens was like, Hey, the empire is basically back. We're calling it the first order. Uh, we have yeah. a rebellion. We're just going to call it the resistance. We're basically doing the thing that, you know, and we still have stormtroopers, and we have like a bad guy who wears a mask. Like he yeah. kind of was like, let's give you all the stuff. You don't, you can't do that again. Right. Right. So they really are at this giant, moment where it's like even george lucas back in the day was like i'm going to tell you the story of the jedi and then i'm going to make and this is where george lucas was brilliant even though we all thought he wasn't at the time he's like i'm going to give you stormtroopers but i'm going to call them clone troopers and make them the good guys right so you still got like the look of the stormtroopers but in a new and different way so they need to do that again and i don't think anybody has fully the confidence like star Wars, even damon it's what damon lindelhoff said like yeah coming in and going let me tell you what i would do with star wars is a really easy thing to do when you're sitting on your couch by yourself but when you actually go into lucasfilm and kathleen kennedy and bob Iger are staring at you and being like all right whatever you're about to say is either going to make or lose billions yeah that's fucking stressful yeah yeah 
Uh, another piece of the news here is the what uh, they're speculating, what Jeff's speculating here with the release dates, that it would be the Mando and Grogu film in May of 2026, then the Daisy Ridley Array film uh, in December of 2026, then you'd have um, Mangold's film in December of 2027, and then uh, Filoni's essentially Mando Avengers uh, in 2028. So does... Anything about the that schedule ring wrong to you guys, or does that seem to make a logical sense? The last time they did the two yeah. in a year, uh, and, and Grant, you 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 have to factor in the films themselves, not just the fact that there were two Star Wars movies in a year. You had Last Jedi, which right. was a very, I mean, successful, but a very divisive film. And then you had uh, Solo, which, I mean, they, they didn't come out in the same year. They came out within six months of each other. Right, right. Um, but then you had Solo, which had a very, you know, highly publicized, troubled uh, production. Um, and Solo ultimately kind of suffered the brunt of that. Yeah. So to me, I think having... To, to start back into the big screen game, having two in a year to me seems like a risk. Um, but if they're confident, because again, we've seen them set dates and set announce films and oh, it yeah, never happens. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it seems like a risk to me, but ultimately I think knowing that where star Wars is where it is, mm-hmm. um, I think they would have to feel confident in what they're putting out there to stick to that two in a year schedule. Fair enough. Mike. The only concern that I have, and it'll be interesting to see, is like, what what are we supposed to be excited about? Mm. Like, so you've got the Mando movie and the Dave Filoni movie, which if the if what if what you guys if what Jeff broke is correct or kind of the the bookends. Yeah. So we have two movies that take place between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens that are tied together. But between those two movies, we have the Ray movie, which tells us what's happening post Rise of Skywalker. But after that, we've got the Mangold movie, which is telling us about the Jedi at the very beginning of the Jedi and how they formed. So like, that doesn't feel like I'm going to see the movies and I'm a Star Wars fan and I'm like, all right, great. There's forward momentum. I see where I'm going here. That feels like I'm in four different time periods across four movies, or I'm, I'm in three different time periods across four movies. And unless there's some kind of connective tissue, like why am I over the course of three years excited about Star Wars? If I, like, you know, like what, what are you giving me? Like even thinking about Marvel back in the, like, you know, Captain Marvel was set in the nineties, but it was like, okay, we know that this is set in the nineties, but we're putting it between infinity war and Endgame because you've got to know Carol Danvers story because she's good. Like there was a rhyme to the reason whether or not you like Captain Marvel or not. Um, This just kind of feels like we're throwing a bunch of star Wars movies at the wall, but there doesn't seem to be a cohesive plan. Yeah. It's an interesting decision not to go with a trilogy and to go with these Four separate, although two are connected, type movies in the and and I agree with you what you're saying, Shannon. It's dangerous to start off by releasing two films in the same year because what if Mando Mando and Grogu is great and then the Ridley film is or the Ray film is not good? Six months later, you have people going, "Wow, Mando and Grogu! Why didn't they do Mando and Grogu? Why couldn't they?" So you damage the brand in that way. You damage the character that you brought back. There's a real possibility. And then before you can even embrace that, as Michael said, you're jumping all the way back to the beginning of the Jedi Order. You could damage that because if you're seeing the rebirth of the Jedi Order with Rey and it's not a good movie, how much interest do you have to go back to see the beginning of the Jedi Order in in history? And then 
the Filoni verse. God forbid the Mando and Grogu movie is underwhelming. That will affect, as you said, Michael, the bookend of these four movies. Sorry, you were going to say? Well, I was going to say, because like what, what makes sense kind of initially, you're like, okay, well, why don't we just do Mando movie yeah, and yeah. Filoni movie and tell that story and then Ray and maybe uh -huh. that ties into the Jedi. But I think the reason they can't is Ahsoka season two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you have this Mando movie that you're rushing forward because you're like it's there's gonna be maybe a mini season four and then the Mando movie or the Mando movie is season four, but like let's get that going because we know everybody loves Grogu. Yeah. But then we can't actually do Filoni's movie because we have to go do Ahsoka season two and that's gonna come out. So why don't we do the Ray movie and the Jedi movie between the two? And I just it starts yeah. to get into like all the different timelines and storytelling, and I just think they might I I I want to watch every Star Wars thing, and I'll probably love Star Wars the way that Shannon loves Indiana Jones until I'm dead. But even I am like, are we sure this is what we're doing? Yeah, because there's still a Mando season four that Deadline rumored that will be happening at some point during the yeah. course of these four movies. So that's even more to throw into that pile. I know we got to wrap up because I know we're running late. One last question: Jodie Foster in promoting uh, True Detective Night Country, which is damn good. You guys should be watching it. She said that she had been offered the role of Princess Leia and turned it down because she didn't want to be tied down to a contract to, to, to be a part of this situation here with, at the beginning there with Star Wars. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts here uh, with the idea of um, Jodie Foster in a, uh, in a Star Wars movie? What would have happened? Would you have liked to have seen it? What are your thoughts on it? I mean, Carrie Fisher is Princess Leia. <laughs> I mean, there's just, <laughs> it's like watching those old, uh, those old screen tests and yeah, you see yeah. a lot of potential Han Solo's like Kurt Russell's screen oh, right. test for Han yeah. Solo is great. Harrison Ford is Han Solo. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that there's just, there's just no, there, there's no going back and thinking in my head of like how Jody, how, how would a uh, Jody Foster have been as Princess Leia? Like it, it doesn't, not only can I not see it, it doesn't matter because doesn't, Carrie okay. Fisher was Princess Leia. That's fair. Uh, Michael, ironically, she was tied to another Disney movie, which is why she couldn't break out of the contract to go and be a part of it. And a lot of people speculated that the Disney movie was Freaky Friday. So yeah. we, in essence, could be ha could have had a Freaky Friday with a Jodie Foster <laughs> Princess Leia. It would have been a younger Princess Leia. Your thoughts on this? Jodie Foster is a, a fucking amazing actress. A hundred percent. Jodie Foster has a very specific <laughs> tonal, like the way she talks. And just picturing Jodie Foster saying, get this walking carpet out of my way, just makes me giggle. Like, it's it's like, it, it's it's a shit, like, you know, it's it's hindsight. Look, had they cast Jodie Foster as Princess Leia, we might be sitting here right now going, look, Jodie Foster's Princess Leia. Like, <laughs> like we might be like, there, there yeah. there's nobody else that could ever be Princess Leia except Jodie Foster. She's a good enough actress. I'm sure she could have done it. But thinking about the Jodie Foster that we have today and like Jodie Foster's career doing what it did yeah, and yeah. Carrie Fisher doing what Carrie Fisher did. It's like picturing that is such a weird elseworld. Like, well, Luke, it's me, Jodie Foster. Like, I just, I can't, like, it's like, <laughs> I, I just, you, you can hear it in your head and it just makes me giggle. I love it. I love it. You're, you're a scruffy nerve herder. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's like, there's just such a specific way she talks. I love you. Yeah. And it would be, it, there's no way Harrison Ford is, is solo. To her Princess Leia, because you'd have to go younger with the solo uh, than what you had. Yeah, so, yeah. would have been interesting to see for sure. But I just wanted to get you guys' quick thoughts on that. All right, well there you go. That's our episode of the Geek Buddies. Thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate it madly. Sorry we went over a little bit past the hour mark that we like to, but we hope you, we kept enjoying you for that extra time or uh, entertaining you for that extra time. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? 
Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mikey? Well, if you would like to hear more stories about John Roca's thrancing or talk about <laughs> no. how Shannon is too old to play video games, we have Aww. plenty of stuff that we can talk to you about here on the Geek Buddies. And here's what you can do to us. You can hit that like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. What did you think of everything that we talked about today? And what are your thoughts on the state of the Geek Nation? Ooh. If you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies there you go all right well thank you all so much have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you next week with another brand new episode here of the geek buddies Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.